everybody. Welcome back to the Green Light Green Podcast. Light. It's Jackson here. And Lauren. And what do we do here on this podcast, Lauren? We talk about movies, old and new, or old-ish and new, uh, and right. talk about whether or not we would green light them. Yes, that is correct. And we have two movies, one old, one new. Uh, I will be talking about the cult classic Escape from New York. And what will you be talking about, Lauren? I will be talking about the brand new Disney Pixar film, Luca. Yes, that is true. That is true. Which we have both seen, but I have not seen Escape from New York. Yes, true. So I'm really working overtime and Lauren is only working hey. half time. But, you know, that's well, okay. So, it took me longer to do my notes, uh, even, even then. Well, whatever. <laughs> So, mad. Uh, I'm not mad. I am not mad. I was this holding my tongue, Lauren, is what I was doing. <laughs> but anyways, let's go over some few housekeeping things before we jump into that. Sweet, sweet. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes, please. Uh, we do have a couple new ones, actually. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, one is from my dear friend, Anish. Uh, it, the title is Great People Talking About... I'm not sure what the rest of it is because it's cut off, but... Great people talking about something. Thank you, Anish. <laughs> uh, he said, who else is doing it like the green light? It's so entertaining to hear Jackson and Lauren talk about their lives and new script. The podcast is also a great way to uplift and give a voice to new screenwriters, too. If you're looking for a podcast to put in the background while in traffic or while doing busy work, this is it. Boom. So, well, we're you, glad Anish. you like it, Anish. Yeah, and obviously our format is a little different now. However, we still do that once a month, so Anisha's not wrong. And if you're a that. new listener, feel free to go catch up on our like 40 episodes of that. Yes. So, that yeah. is correct. And actually our la- uh nope, 2 weeks ago, uh we had an episode like yes. that as well. So, so Boom. do that. Uh we also had another another review from one of our uh classic who is that listeners oh thank you uh saying uh lego podcast this is just a suggestion if you wanted to make a lego master podcast <laughs> um thank you Liz rn however uh we might do like a bonus episode on our patreon talking about lego masters yeah. i don't think we're gonna make a full podcast out of it because we like breaks uh, that as, is true. As you know, um, Lauren and I love Lego Masters. Uh, obviously, we love... We um, are watching the new season. Yes, we are. Obviously, we love uh, The Masked Singer, uh, but we're probably just going to stick to The Masked Singer as our other full-time podcast. I wonder now. if sometime but in our spare you. time, we should um, look and see if we've gotten any new reviews on Who Is That, because I haven't looked. Oh, I guess that's a good point. Uh, you talk about our other housekeeping things, and I'll look on that. Okay, so here's some housekeeping stuff. Uh, we have a Patreon. And if you subscribe to our Patreon, join our club, you can get mm-hmm. more content. Mm-hmm. Uh, this month, we are going to, so we're doing a our first new format road trip, which is we're going to be looking at a classic public domain play and um, basically analyzing it, going through it, reading some excerpts, kind of like Cliff Notes, but better. So uh, we are going to be looking at our town. Uh, and that will be coming out in the next couple weeks. Yes, true. And then we also, at the end of this month, are doing a green lit, as we do every month. And this month, we are going to be doing E.T., the yes. extraterrestrial. E.T. hope. Be good. Yes. I actually have not seen E.T., so this will be new for me. And I haven't seen it since I was like 10. So. Yeah, so pretty much new for both of us. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. Uh, a quick few reviews from Who Is That. It's mostly just updated reviews. Uh, MJC Poop Emoji, uh, Nothing New, a.k.a. me. MJC is making a comeback on reviews. Also really excited for the new season coming soon. Hopefully, MJC out. 
Thank you, MJC Poop Emoji. Ah, uh, appreciate you. Um, and then we had uh, one from Friday. Hey. Says, remember, also from Lissarin. Remember last time I said I share an iCloud with my mom? I thought you two would think that my review name is named after my mom, and Jackson said my reviewer name right. So I did something right, I think. Yay! Jackson did something right! Which is new. That's fresh. <laughs> uh, and then we have one from June 6th. Uh, miss you guys. Oh, Can't wait too. until you come back from hiatus. You're my favorite mass Singer podcast. Thank Aww, you. Cloud thanks. Fury underscore 42. Thank you. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. They they must have been an updated review, too. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Mm, they were. Uh, so thank you all for leaving reviews on this show and on that show. Yeah. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, we do it for y'all. Yeah. Because we hate it. No, we're kidding. No. Uh, we, we have a lot of fun doing it. And we're glad that other people enjoy us doing it as well. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Uh, I think I'll start this week, since I I got the throwback, and then you clean us up. Okay. How does that sound? You did go first last week, I think, but Oh, well, fine. then you can go first this week. Okay. My heart is not set on anything, so... <laughs> cool. <laughs> I just wanted to avoid the dance that we typically do, however, uh, we just like dancing, I we guess. We like dancing, so, yeah. It's a <laughs> All right, Lauren, take us away with Luca. It's a swim, if swim, you will. Swim away with Luca. Yeah, as... so Luca. Yes. Okay, so kind of interesting thing with Luca, because I'll, I'll end up reading my own synopsis, but I did find a couple of synopses from the official sources, uh, Disney Plus and also IMDb. Okay. Um... And something I thought was very strange about it, if you've seen this movie, you know that it's mainly about Luca, his friend Alberto, Mm -hmm. and then their new friend, Juliana. Yes, Juliana. Juliana. Alberto. Luca. Yeah. Anyway, um, which by the way, uh, this is some trivia that is not part of my two truths and a lie later. The name Luca was chosen. um, It was like based on, I guess, the writer, um, no, sorry, the director who also created the story, um, his like actual friendship with this guy, Alberto. Oh, nice. But he didn't want to use his real name and, uh, Enrico because he thought that Luca would be easier to pronounce for Americans. Uh, true. Which is correct. (laughs) It's also just, I feel like a little catchier as far as like a title. Like I hear Luca. Oh, cool. Enrico. Mm. But that might just be my warped American brain. Sheesh. But anyways, yes, this is the new... I also feel like there are kind of a lot of famous Enricos, or Enriques. I guess Enrique, yeah. Anyway. Anyways, back to it. Um, Yeah, so this is the brand new Disney Pixar film. Uh, yes. But yeah, something I thought was weird about those two summaries is that neither of them mention Alberto. They only really mention, like, not even by name, but they mention, like, Luca and his best friend who is not a, he- or not a sea monster. Yeah. And Luca and Alberto are both sea monsters. So it's just like, because Alberto is such like an integral part of the movie, it's just weird that he wasn't mentioned in those summaries. Um, For sure. But anyway, let's get to my summary. Let's get to Lauren's summary. Luca, a sea monster, spends his days herding goatfish and dreaming of the forbidden surface. It's very Little Mermaid. He even collects some human stuff. That's how he meets Alberto, another sea monster who is very confident in his human form, which, by the way, these sea monsters take a human form as soon as they break the surface, pretty yes. much. Basically, essentially when they're dry. Yeah, when they're dry, mm-hmm. yes. Um, anyway, he stole the human stuff from the quote-unquote land monsters in the first place. They become friends and dream of escaping on their very own Vespa. When Luca's family finds out about his escapades, they plan to send him to the deep with Uncle Ugo, who is Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes. <laughs> Luca and Alberto Ugo run away great. to the human town where they befriend Juliana and train to compete in an annual cup to win their own Vespa. Yep. Basically, with the with the Porto Rosso Cup, that's the town, um, 
they would just win enough money to buy like a really cheap, crappy Vespa. Yeah. So. But in their minds, it was the best Vespa in the world. Because every Vespa would be the best Vespa in the world. Correct. Yeah. Um. So, this movie, uh, I kind of want to talk about a couple different things, just in terms of like Pixar's most recent movies that are not Disney princess movies. Yep. Um, and also just the idea of releasing a movie for streaming only, because this movie is exclusively on Disney plus. It's not going to have a theatrical release, Yep. um, which is unusual. And something I found that was interesting while looking at this information is that there isn't really a metric yet to figure out, or at least publicly, like to figure out how much money something made if it's only released on a streaming service. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so like, for example, we just recently talked about the Mitchells versus the Machines, and because that, like, I think it did have a small theatrical release, Yeah. it's mostly, I think probably just to make it, like, Oscars eligible. <laughs> probably. But, um, but it really has only been on Netflix, and it's really hard with movies that are only released on streaming services to be like, okay, how many new memberships were because of this movie. Yeah. How many active memberships are like still active in part because of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to know how much of the money that's rolling in is, is a direct to... result of yeah. this project. For sure. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of hard to gauge how much money that is made. Yeah. Especially because a lot of the movies that Disney did this similar to, a la Mulan, a la Raya and the Last Dragon, had, had like paywalls. premium access. Yeah. yeah at, at least in the first couple months they were out. Right. But this one just came out straight to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, and it was actually the same with Soul that came out pretty recently. And I know with I Soul, because it did have like some box office, especially in other countries that yeah, were true. maybe a little more ahead of the pandemic than us. Sure. Um, but Soul, uh, the budget was $150 million, and in the box office, it made $119 million. So it okay. like lost money, not accounting for money that came sure. in due to people subscribing to Disney Plus to see Soul. Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of a weird, just like kind of a weird thing where you're just not really sure, like, is this making money or not? Obviously, I'm sure the people at Disney have much better uh, information on that, you know, in terms of just like... I would think. I'm I'm sure that with those, you can kind of guess in some way just based on correlations of like how steady is your you know, subscription base rising. How does that yep. change when a new project comes out or this new project comes out? Um, so I'm sure they can find a way to guess, but it is hard to know specifically. It's not as easy as just people buying movie tickets Yeah, and keeping yeah. track of that. Correct. Um, yeah, so we know Soul, like, I guess was probably profitable for Disney, but it's not totally clear. Um, and then Onward, which was another Disney Pixar movie that was the last one that had a big theatrical release. It was right before the pandemic. True. Um, also seems like it lost money in the box office. I think because its theatrical release was cut short yeah, by everything shutting down. Pandemic, sure. Yeah. Um and then it was eventually released on Disney Plus as well. Yes, it was, which um, is where we watched it. Yeah. But yeah, that movie, uh, the budget was like one seventy five to two hundred million and then it made hundred forty one point nine million in the box office. Uh. But at the same time, because that came out on Disney Plus around the same time it, you know, was released. Yeah. Um, like Disney Plus was still pretty new then. Um, I think that that being put on Disney Plus probably drove a lot of people to subscribe. For sure. Because they didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, and then I also just wanted to do like a little compare and contrast with a couple of other recent Pixar movies that were, you know, not pandemic wise. Um, so, for example, like 
Cars 3 was not seen as an incredibly successful movie. Cars 3. Budget was $175 million, but box office, $383 million. Yeah. You know, so it's just like even the movies that Pixar makes that are considered kind of flops yeah. still make a ton of money. Correct, yeah. Um, and then, you know, another comparison, um, a Disney Pixar movie with a similar animation style that was a Disney princess movie, uh, Moana. So I didn't want to go as big as Frozen because that's kind of its own thing. But Moana, sure. you know, maybe like a not quite as famous Disney princess movie. Um, budget was 150 to 175 million, made 645 million. Wow, that's worldwide. Impressive. But now that wasn't a Pixar movie, though, right? That was just Disney. Well, Disney Pixar. Moana was a Pixar. I'm pretty sure everything animated they do is at least a little Pixar. I didn't think. I thought there were like, some movies Pixar that were specifically Pixar. Well, there are some movies that are specifically Pixar. Yeah. I mean, they're all Disney Pixar now because Disney owns Pixar. I guess. But, but I, th- I still thought there were some that were distinct from that. Well, there, there are, but I also believe that Pixar does like all of their animation. Okay, at sure. This point. Sure. I, I, you now did the I feel like I, I need didn't. to look this up. No, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> throw Jackson's you off. Just undercutting me here. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't mean to undercut you. I just meant to provide uh, a potential other <laughs> thought. <laughs> She's researching right now. Okay, never mind. Moana's not a Pixar movie. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I did I, I throw myself off a cliff. I didn't want us to get hate comments. <laughs> anyway. Well, whatever. But Moana did better than the Pixar movies, sure. I guess, then. S- still a still a Disney. They they all fall under the Disney umbrella, I'll say. Yeah. And then um I also well, this is obviously also not Pixar, um, because of the plot similarities to the little mermaid which my housemates did not think were that big of a deal but in my mind i'm like if disney hadn't made luca disney would have sued them (laughs) like just for the similarities of like sea creature forbidden to go to the surface collects human stuff yeah ends up going to the surface loves it wants to join the human world yeah like come on Dad has to, mom and dad have to let go, even though Ariel's mom is dead. Sure. Um. Anyway, Little Mermaid, budget was $40 million, made $233 million worldwide when it came out. Sure. Um. I'm sure it's made a lot more sense. I would imagine. Anyway, um. yeah, there was actually a little bit of controversy from Pixar employees with this movie, just because, oh, well, just because, um, their biggest complaint was that it wasn't getting a theatrical release. Hmm. And, you know, they were kind of like, okay, with Soul, we understood that because there was really no other way to get it out there. Yeah, for sure. But with this, you could have given it a theatrical release, and instead you decided to, like, squash the success of this movie, kind of, just Hmm. to drive more subscribers to Disney+. Plus. Sure. You know, so they were not huge fans of that. And I think especially, too, you know, because... Again, while I'm sure we'll evolve to a better system for tracking how much money movies make now that so many streaming services are releasing movies only to their streaming services. Yeah. Um, right now, it doesn't look like Luke has made anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even though I'm sure it kind of has. Yeah. Because it's very hard to tell for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so there's that. Um, okay. Let's talk about our director. Let's do it. Uh, Enrico Casarosa. So he is originally from Italy. He actually made a vocal voiceover cameo in this movie as the card player slash angry fisherman. So that's <laughs> cool. fun. That um, fun. Yeah, this is actually his first feature-length directing credit. Wow. Like, period. That's impressive. Um, his only other directing credit is for a Pixar short, La Luna, 
Um, but he has done a lot of work with Pixar. So he was on the senior creative team at Pixar for Coco and Toy Story 4. Both great movies. And he was on the senior leadership team for The Incredibles 2. Also a great movie. Uh, he also was, his first like kind of Disney related thing um, was he was a designer and storyboard artist for the 90s 101 Dalmatians series. Um, that was kind of his first thing with Disney. And he's also done like some storyboarding, stuff like that on... Um, some other like smaller series, uh, so like Starla and the Jewel Riders, which I hadn't heard of. Me he either. also did um, background animation, which like at first I he, I saw a background artist and I was like, why is he putting his central casting gigs on here? But it's <laughs> he was animating the backgrounds of the sure. scene and the people milling around for um, PBJ PB and J Otter. I don't know if you remember that series, but I, I was a not. big fan as a small oh, child. Okay, gotcha. It was like a cartoon series about some otters named PB and J. Oh, that sounds cute. It was cute. Uh, but then here's some other big things. He was also a storyboard artist for Ice Age, Robots, oh. Ratatouille, Wow, Up, and Coco. Some great movies there too. Lots of big stuff. Who's to say which is the best? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, Robots is kind of making a comeback like on social media. <laughs> yeah. So many people are talking about how good Robots was. Yeah, true. And it I, was I remember good. liking it. I know this city like the back of my hand. Oh, hey, that's new. <laughs> I always remember that line. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so some writers on this. So uh, Enrico Casarosa does have a story credit. I mean, he did base this on kind of like his own childhood, his own uh, friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was also, I don't know if you recognize this name, Jesse Andrews. That name does sound familiar. Uh, well, he has a story credit and a screenplay credit. Um, one of the most notable things he's written was the novel and screenplay for Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which oh. you are reading right now. <laughs> I am. I am reading that right now, currently. Yeah. That's cool. That's interesting. Well, yeah, I was like, huh, what a coincidence. Yeah. Um, yeah, he also wrote a film called Every Day, which I'm not familiar with, but it has like over 100,000 reviews on IMDb. So it's like this teenage girl wakes up in a different person's body every day. And oh, she's like shy and gets to know other people. I, it sounds vaguely familiar. I think I remember that when that came out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Mike Jones was the other screenplay credit on this. Oh, and then this guy, Simon Stevenson, also had a story credit. Um. But Mike Jones, um, he kind of has a similar background to um, Enrico Casarosa, uh, just in the sense that he was on the senior creative team for Coco, Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. So mm. definitely wrote, uh, worked with the director on this quite a bit. Yeah. Um, he also wrote the story slash screenplay for Soul. Um, oh, okay. So he, you know, has sort of helmed in a way um, the two big Pixar projects that have been released on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, and weirdly enough, he has a special thanks credit for the Blair Witch Project. Oh. <laughs> Not sure why. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he did for that, but I was like, huh. So I don't know if maybe he helped create the story or something, but yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, let's talk about the people involved in this acting-wise. Let's do it. Okay, so our main guy, Luca, is Jacob Tremblay. And if you don't know that name yet, you probably should, and you definitely will, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's done a lot of stuff. He is 14. But he kind of made his first big thing. He was blue in the Smurfs, too, voiceover-wise. He was the kid in Room with Brie Larson. Yes. Um, so that's one of his really big things. Um, he was the main guy in Wonder, or the main kid in Wonder, mm. which recently came out that, um, our acting teacher, Crystal, is in. Yes, Has correct. a small part in that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the remake of The Predator in 2018. 
Uh, he was Bradley Trevor and Dr. Sleep. And I know we always love our Justin Bieber connections. <laughs> he played young Justin Bieber in the music video for guess which song? Never Say Never. Lonely. Oh, yeah. sad. I mean, yeah, probably a little more recent than Never Say Never. Sure. <laughs> Um, let me see. He is also currently playing, or at least was playing Robin in the Harley Quinn TV series. Oh, cool. And he is going to do the voiceover for Flounder in the live action Little Mermaid. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Well, because I guess it's live action, but you know, I mean, Flounder's obviously still going to be, he's not going to be in a fish costume. Yeah. Anyway, um, he also was like kid number four in, I didn't know this existed, um, the TV movie, Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal, the movie that came out in 2016, starring Johnny Depp. <laughs> I've never heard of that. <laughs> Me neither. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he has done a lot for his small age, so I'm sure he will be doing lots more. Uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, who played Alberto, um, he is really, really well known for like a couple things. He's done a good bit, but his... Biggest claims to fame were uh, he was Eddie in It, chapters one and two. Okay. Um, so, you know, that was one like the, the kid kids. who had the uh, inhaler. Sure. And everything. Um, who wasn't really sick. But, um, and then he was also Freddie Freeman in Shazam. So yep. Shazam's best friend. Yep. Yeah. The funny kid. Yeah. Um, and then there's also Emma Berman, who was Juliana. Um, I'm kind of, there are like some really, really big stars who have smaller roles in this, but I'm kind of trying to mostly cover the people who were uh, kids and up-and-comers and all that good stuff. That's fair. Let's shine a light on them. Yeah, so Emma Berman, who was Juliana, uh, Juliana. Marco Valdo. Uh, really? This is kind of all she's done? The only other thing she has coming out is that she's doing some voiceover for... Um, oh, now I can't remember her name. It was like Winifred Wings or something like that. Um, in Go, Go, Corey Carson, an animated TV series about looks like a car on pretty netflix nice. pretty nice and this and i mean even that the netflix thing is also like a 2021 thing so mm. i mean her career is her really just like boom this year just starting yeah uh and then let me see only other real person i wanted to cover real quick is um i'm not sure how to pronounce his name uh severio raimondo who was Ercole. Oh, he was the he was jerk funny. who was definitely too <laughs> old to be competing in the Porto Rosso cup yeah um, yeah, so it seems like he actually, everything aside from this that he's done has been all, like, all the titles are in Italian, so I assume because, um, <laughs> Italy, specifically Rome, does have, you know, they make a lot of films. Um, yeah. they have, like, a whole studio over there, and actually a lot of, um, you know, quote-unquote spaghetti westerns were shot, um, in Rome in Cinecita, so the oh. city of cinema. How do you know all this stuff? Oh, there? I still need a rod. <laughs> Boo. Boo her, everyone. From your from your couch, from your car. Yeah, Boo. I deserve it. Oh, well. Tell us about Ireland, Jackson, okay? Don't get me started. <laughs> anyway. Listen to my new podcast, All About Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but he was Ercole. So it seems like this is his first, like, English language thing. Um, but, I mean, this honestly is probably the biggest thing he's done, because it seems like most of what he's done before this is shorts and miniseries, um, gotcha. even in Italy. So hopefully this is, like, a huge deal for him and his career. A launch pad for his career, if you will. Pew! Yeah. Um, and then some other people in this, um, Maya Rudolph, Jim Gaffigan, Sasha Baron Cohen, you know them. The big ones. Come on. The big ones. You know all about them. Yep. Maya Rudolph was actually also just in the Miss Mitchells versus the Machines, so yep. we her, doubly just talked about her. Yeah, her voiceover career taking off. Boom. 
just multiple animated moms. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's a type. Yeah. Okay. So I think the only other thing I wanted to really discuss before I get to some trivia, which is going to be all Easter eggs this week because it's Pixar. How could you not? Yep. Um, is like the one of the big debates with this movie is um, <laughs> is this movie gay? <laughs> yes. So I don't know. After we watched it, I kind of came to the conclusion that I was like, that's pretty gay. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, you know, uh, just based on the relationship between Luca and Alberto, it's like a coming of age thing. It's the whole like feeling, you know, literally being a fish out of water, like literally being sea monsters trying to hide your identities around a bunch of humans. Like, yeah, for and sure. it's just the two of them, you know, I don't know. It, it just read as very, and it's also branded as a coming of age story, like on yeah. Disney plus. Yeah. So I think that was sort of the expectation. I think that was kind of how it was advertised. Yeah. And then, you know, um, the director Enrico Casarosa has since said like, no, that was never the intention. It was about like this friendship I had when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you have any thoughts, Jackson? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I, I would say one thing, like, I mean, I'll probably say a couple things. I lied, but, I think if you would see this relationship between Luca, Luca and Alberto, and it was like between a boy and a girl, you would immediately think there was oh, it's so cute. They like like each They're other. They're gonna or get whatever. married. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think because you know, um, because it's two boys, people might be more hesitant. I also think, and we we discussed this with our house actually, that. I think it might be a little case of the director is kind of just erring on the side of caution when talking about this movie. I think that's probably it. Uh, because I, th I think the themes and, and everything surrounding that, like you said, are pretty clear. But I, I think you can say to an audience like, oh, yeah, no, it's not. And you could you can make a justification for it for sure, because there, there's nothing like overtly explicit yeah there's nothing it. explicitly romantic they they never share a kiss they they never talk about their feelings etc but i mean even you know like they're like riding on their little makeshift vespa together and you know the one in yeah. the back is like clinging to the one in the front like i yeah. was like come on yeah for sure for sure and like so like i i think at the very least it's like I think it's implied, and I think at the very least it can be taken that way. And like I said, I, I would say it's probably more of the director and probably straight from Disney saying, hey, you can't say this is explicitly gay, so don't. Yeah. And he probably is. Well, and I do find that interesting because Disney, uh, like Disney and Pixar did recently come out with a short called Out that was about this guy like trying to come out to his family and yeah. you know he ends up being able to do that by him and his dog accidentally like switching bodies i like, i will say the it is a short yeah you know? <laughs> the, the financial loss that disney could fi feel from a short is much less than the financial loss they could potentially feel from a big budget and that's Pixar definitely movie. true so i th th that's my perspective we'd love to hear your perspective if you would like yeah um well i just like i think for me like I totally understand why they would do something like that and say, like, make something that seems very clearly meant to speak to that experience and yet, you know, go back and be like, oh, no, that's not what we meant. Uh, yeah. You know, it, I just think it's a shame that they still feel the need to do that. Yeah. And I think it's a shame that, you know, well, of course, yeah, there is a lot of money riding on it. Yeah. Like, I do wish that studios with the power like Disney would be willing to actually 
not even take a stance because it's not even a stance. It's more of just like, I guess, being courageous enough to call that story kind of what it was. Yeah, but for sure. Anyway, because it's also like, you know, they're they're like, what, like nine, ten years old? I mean, yeah, supposed to be. Th- so it's not like you would expect them to have a romantic relationship. For sure. But I, I do think that just some of the, I don't know, just some of the like imagery and just the whole, you know, again, the fish out of water metaphor just seems so clearly like it was supposed to be about that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I and I would say it's more about like the metaphor and the themes as yeah. opposed to them overtly like, you know, having that sort of relationship that's displayed on screen. Because exactly. like you said, they are kids, so it's not it's not even necessarily the first thing that you probably should think about. But at the same time, the just the way the movie is structured and the sort of the just the yeah the themes i think it, it it's kind of clear but yeah. anyways let's anyway get to or you know eggs. like even just the thing talking about like how you know he's sort of like discovering this part of himself that is not like not allowed by his family and then his parents yeah. threaten to send him away like not allowed by his family or society yeah yeah anyway you could, you could certainly make the, a very strong case <laughs> yeah um anyway but you know it, i think like my sort of the thing that doesn't quite sit with me the right way about it is just that, like, it seems like Disney sort of wants to have both things. Like, they want to have support they from have the gay community. They want to have their cake and eat it too, Lauren. Exactly. It's like they want to have that support from the gay community for being like, yay, there are gay people in this. But they also want to have support from a bunch of homophobic people who would not see it if it was, like, overtly gay. Yeah, for sure. You know, so I think that's kind of where I wish they had, you know, just a little more courage to... At least in their marketing, say, like, yeah, this is what this is meant to be. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. Last thing I have, because I know I've talked for a while. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, some Easter eggs. And one of these is going to be a lie. So okay. I'll just do three, and then I might just talk about a couple other ones. Okay. As cool. well. Okay. Well, do you want to talk about your thoughts about the movie and whether you greenlight it? Oh, Yeah. Sorry, I never write notes on that. I always just wing it, so okay. I always forget. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely would greenlight this movie. I mean, I thought it was like really, really well done. I thought it was really good. I mean, really, the only complaint that I had about it was that I just wish they were a little more like upfront. Yes, this is yeah. gay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was really well done. I loved it. Good. You yeah. know, I thought it was it's like a... very pretty. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the fact that it was set in Italy. Um, they had a lot of really like just fun things where like every time something surprised Juliana, she'd be like, Santa type of cheese. Yeah, true. Santa Gorgonzola, <laughs> Santa yeah. Mozzarella. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was really fun. I just thought it was great. If we have anyone Italian listening to this podcast, let us know your thoughts on it. <laughs> I just That's think it's fair. <laughs> well, we do have one writer. I have no idea if he still listens, though. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, reach out to us. But yeah, it's a Pixar movie. It's outstanding. Period. Yeah. yeah. Period. One thing that I'll, I'll say really quickly is I think kind of an advantage in Disney doing this is actually the people who have younger kids. Like, because you have kids who go out and see a movie and they like that movie, they will watch it a hundred times. No exaggeration. And so to be able to have that access so quickly and like you can watch it once and if they like it, you can just throw it on again is probably really nice for a lot of parents. So I'm sure, yeah. I, I, I think mean, that's cool. I guess I just like... I totally understand what some of the people at Pixar are saying about how, like, no. they wish it would have had the chance to have a theatrical release. For sure. And then be put on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And I think both can exist. 
Or even if it was like, you can see it in theaters or do this paywall for the first like two months sure. or whatever, yeah. if you want to see it at home. For sure. Anyway. Um, yeah. So Easter eggs. <clears throat> first things first. Um, in the scene when Juliana's dad is cooking them pasta. Great scene. Love the dad. Um, he takes some pasta out of a box and puts it in a pot. Yes. And on that box is Chef Gusto from Ratatouille. Oh. It's Chef Gusto's pasta. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, let me see. Another thing, there is a Donald Duck plush in Juliana's room, which apparently uh was partly, I mean, of course Donald Duck, but also just because Donald Duck specifically is really popular in Italy, apparently. Huh, I did not know that. Yeah. That's cool. Uh and then the last other thing is there is a poster for Potoroso, the town where it is set, in Seoul. Oh, cool. I always have to smile because I can't keep a straight face. So I just have to yeah, look at Jackson and be like, <laughs> You have to smile the whole time. I'm actually going to say that I think uh, I think the first one's a lie. I don't think Gusto's on there. Ha-ha! I win. No! I win. No! I win. I was like, why would, why would an Italian man be getting French pasta? <laughs> I no was way. afraid you would think that. I was just hoping you wouldn't think about it too much. It was good. I when when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, that's really fun." And then I was like, "Wait a minute." Wait a minute. Nationalism. Well, you got me. Okay. <laughs> well, there are some other uh, trivia things in here. Um, cool. Let's hear. So it. there is a vehicle called the Piaggio Ape. Uh, Piaggio is the company that makes Vespa. Ha-ha. Um. So, <laughs> but yeah, the Ape. It from the picture, it looks like it's almost like a truck, but it it's only like three wheels. So that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Anyway, um, but so there's one of them in the background of one of the scenes that has a Pizza Planet ad on the side. Oh, well. Um, Pizza Planet has to be the most Easter egg thing, I feel like. Well, I think I'd say second because um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Pixar Luxo Ball. It's also known as the Toy Story Ball. It's like oh, the yellow yeah. ball with the star on it's it. Fair, 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 fair. Yeah, yeah, that's in like every movie. Yeah. It's in this one too. That one's easy, I guess, to put in pretty yeah, much. Yeah, it's like on the roof of a building when they're racing Strange. at the end. Interesting. Um, let me see. Another thing, uh, I just thought this was really fun. It's not even really an Easter egg. In uh Marco Valdo's kitchen, um, so that's Juliana's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, the stove is the brand on the stove is called Caldino, which means little hot. Okay. And then the fridge is the brand is a uh, Fredino, which is little cold. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I just thought that was so cute. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other thing I want to say is that uh, Alberto's surname uh, Scorfano mm-hmm. means scorpion fish in Italian, but Scorfano is also just used to describe someone who is ugly oh, in sheesh. Italian. Sheesh. <laughs> so his little name Not is kind of well. just like Alberto Ugly. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. So poor guy. Unfortunate for that poor boy. Yeah. All right, is that Luca? That's Luca. Green okay. light from a production standpoint, even though I would have given it a theatrical release. True. Get him. <laughs> and a personal standpoint, because yep. I thought it was good. Well, cool. All right, now everyone get ready for a wild tone shift, because we're <laughs> going to be talking about Escape from New York. Okay. So let's first, in case you haven't heard of it uh, or seen it, because, you know, it, this was a uh, 1981 movie. And uh, so, you know, maybe some of our younger audience might not have seen it or... Or uh, it's me. I'm the younger audience that hasn't seen it. That was specifically for Lauren. I said (laughs) it only for her. Uh, But anyways, uh, so let's talk about what this movie is about. It's a pretty high concept movie, so you'll you'll get it pretty quick. 
Set in the near future world of 1997, <laughs> Whoa. this movie concerns a crime-ridden United States, which has converted Manhattan Island in New York City into the country's maximum security prison. Air Force One is hijacked by insurgents and is deliberately crashed in New York City. Ex-soldier and current federal prisoner Snake Plissken, played by Kurt Russell, is given just 24 hours to go in and rescue the President of the United States, after which, if successful, Snake will be pardoned. Another thing that this does not mention is that Snake was actually tricked by the government because they injected what they said was just a tracking device into him, but then soon revealed after that was actually a, uh, a device that if he doesn't rescue uh, the president in time, in the 24 hours, or if he tries to escape without rescuing the president, it will explode and kill him. Oh, like Suicide Squad. Kind of like Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> Except probably took it from this movie. I believe it's either an explosion or like a, a poison something. But yes, the, the same huh. idea. I can't remember exactly which one. But so yeah, you get it. New York City's uh, essentially one massive prison. There are no guards inside. It's just like 50 foot walls erected on the outside of it. And they guard so that no one can get out. But it's just a free for all inside. Hmm. And then they, they kidnap the president. Send in Snake to, to get him. The tagline for this movie, Lauren? New York is a disease. Meet the cure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's classic 80s cheese there If they there didn't have you. the cure... I don't know. The cure was 80s, right? They were big in the 80s. I guess. They? I don't know. They should have just had them do something on the soundtrack. They might have. I don't know. I can't Maybe. remember. All right. So let's talk about who was involved with this movie. This movie was wit written and directed by John Carpenter. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because he's a very successful writer-director. <laughs> what you probably know him most from is from Halloween, the 1978 uh, classic horror movie that sort of sort of was a catalyst for like the slasher genre yeah. um, and is one of the most famous horror movies and horror movie franchises of all time, sparked one of the most famous characters of all time, etc., etc. Um, however, he has a lot of credits. He has 58 writing credits. 32 directing credits, which for writer-directors is a lot. But you know what he has more of than any of those? Acting? No. Soundtrack credits. Oh. He for, has 64 he soundtrack music? credits. Yes, he does. Obviously, the famous Halloween music. Oh, wow. He wrote that? That's him. Yes. Uh, so he's a very multi-talented man. Um, <laughs> wrote some other famous horror movies like They Live and John Carpenter's The Thing, which my father loves. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's uh, John Carpenter. This was also co-written by Nick Castle. Um, this is mostly what he's known for writing-wise. However, you might also know him as Michael Myers, because he played Michael Myers in the Halloween movies. Wow. So that's how he and John Carpenter met, obviously, uh, or at least what they worked together previously. And then uh, Carpenter brought him in on this, uh, actually to get sort of a, a New York uh, tough city perspective on it uh, and to, to add a little humor, a little punch-up to the script. A consultant, if you will. Yes. Uh, however... One other writing credit he has, August Rush. <laughs> that movie, Do you remember August Rush? No. Oh. <laughs> I was, was like making movie. a face and I was like, should I be having a reaction it to this? It was that one movie with, I think, Freddie Highmore, who uh, just about that little kid prodigy guitar player. Let me let me double check and look it I up. I feel really bad, but I yes. have no idea what you're talking about. I can't about. believe you did it. You don't, because that was a that was a big movie. Also starring Carrie Russell. I wonder if that has any relation to Kurt. Hmm. Let me look real quick. Maybe. I don't know. If you know, let us know. Uh but anyways, speaking of people who are in this movie, 
including Kurt Russell. This movie also starred Lee Van Cleef, Ernest Borgnine, Donald Pleasance, Isaac Hayes, Season Hubley, Harry Dean Stanton, and Adrian Barbeau. I'm just going to talk about the first four of those people briefly. Uh, so obviously you know who Kurt Russell is. Uh, big star. Stars as Snake Plissken. Hugely successful. Uh, he has 101 acting credits. And I didn't know his career started in 1962. What? This man has been acting for 60 years, which I think is really impressive. Uh, what, one thing I thought was interesting, before this, he had actually only done mostly TV stuff. Hmm. Like, you know, appearances on TV shows, etc. But he met John Carpenter while they were both working on the Elvis TV movie in 1979. No way. Kurt Russell played Elvis, John Carpenter directed it, and then sort of the, the rest is history. Uh, some of my favorite Kurt Russell credits, Sky High. The Fast and Furious franchise, yes. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and the Christmas Chronicle series as Santa. Obviously, he's done many more prestigious movies, however, just wanted to have a little fun there. Next, we're going to move on to Lee Van Cleef, who played Hawk. Uh, if you thought Kurt Russell's 101 acting credits were good, uh, Lee Van Cleef has 174 acting credits. Most of them taking place before this film, he actually died either in 1989 or 1990, somewhere around there. Uh, before this, uh, he was in a lot of Western movies, uh, movies, uh, TV shows, etc. Uh, some notable ones, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, For a Few Dollars More, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, etc. Uh, I, I wanted to just name some of the ones that I thought were fun, some of the fun names that I haven't heard of. Uh, the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. The Big Combo, City Detective. Just city detective. <laughs> Tribute to a bad man. Tombstone territory. Posse from hell. And finally, mean Frank and crazy Tony. I don't know which one he was or if he was even one of those. I'm going to say he was crazy Tony because that sounds fun. Anyways, next we're moving on to Ernest Borgnine as Cabby. If you thought Lee Van Cleef's 174 acting credits were impressive, you'll be even more impressed no by Ernest Borgnine's 211 acting credits. What? <laughs> He also starred in a lot of westerns, and one thing that I think was interesting- They used to crank those out, man. The, like, <laughs> insanity. Just wait. <laughs> uh, he uh, he starred in the Poseidon Adventure, uh, which I think is really interesting because uh, Kurt Russell actually starred in a remake of the Poseidon Adventure huh. later, which I think is a, a sort of fun connection they have. Uh, he also was a voice in Spongebob, which I think is fun. As who? I don't know. He he was in like fifteen different episodes. I can't remember. Mm. I should have I should have pointed. It. You wouldn't know. Yeah, but the people might. <laughs> That's true. The, sorry, the people. So, if you thought Ernest Borgnine's two hundred eleven acting credits were impressive, wait till you get a load of Donald Pleasance, uh, who played the president. Oh my god! Two hundred and forty acting credits. What? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, he famously played Sam Loomis in the Halloween franchise, which is his connection to, uh, John Carpenter. Uh, and actually, you know, uh, Donald Pleasant, oh, an older guy as well, he had a lot of credits pre this. Uh, he, he actually had a career resurgence after Halloween, where he starred in a bunch of horror and thriller films because hmm. of his performance in Halloween. Uh, he also played the villain, uh, Ernst Stavro Blofeld in the James Bond film, You Only Live Twice. And he had 239 other acting credits. Wild. So wild. So I thought that was fun. Just the... the yeah. Lots of working people lots here. Lots of working people. I tell you what, that is one thing that I don't think we'll ever... We might never see again it, from, like, stars today. And, you know, I, I don't know if 
you would consider these guys like A-listers necessarily for their time, so I'm sure a lot of people now who are more character actors probably crank them out. But, you know, even someone like Kurt Russell, who's still a very big name, very well-known, having 100 acting credits, I just don't know if we'll, we'll see that again today. No, I, I just, mean, I don't I think feel I've like seen stars, anybody with that many. Yeah, I feel like stars don't really act as much as they used to back in the day. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely Cowards. agree with what you're saying with, like, some character people, we'll see them on, on, like, five different things in a year. Yeah. Because they can yeah. do that because exactly. they can, like, be on set for three days and get a credit. You yeah, know what I mean? For sure. For As sure. opposed to, like, if you're someone who is the lead in everything that you do, it's a, a bit you're harder. probably booking less things. Yeah. And B, yeah, you can only do so many things at once. For sure. For but, sure. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that is definitely crazy yeah i also too feel like actors are better paid now like i yeah, mean true not not us <laughs> but <laughs> not um us. <laughs> you know big a-list actors are better paid yeah, now so where they don't have to yeah they'll literally be like yeah this is my movie this year and then i will take the rest of the year off because they can and good for them for it hopefully one day lauren yeah anyways let's talk a little bit how, about how this movie got made because i think it's kind of an interesting story so uh, john carpenter actually wrote this film in the mid-1970s as a reaction to the watergate scandal uh, he said the whole feeling of the nation was one of real cynicism about the president. Um, interestingly enough, at the time, no studio wanted to make the film because it was deemed too dark and too violent. Hmm. I'll talk about that in a little bit again. Uh, but I just think it's really interesting how, um, you know, he made that. And before going into this movie, obviously, I had no idea. But looking back on it, I think it's it's pretty clear. Um, I, I think it's, it's really interesting how um, Snake Plissken, who... Technically a prisoner, but also a a veteran of the army, and see how he's kind of mistreated, lied to, etc. Forced to sort of uh, win back his life in a way, um, and and also in the way uh, there's a pretty uh, a pretty classic scene at the end of the movie. Uh, Snake asks the president, who he just rescued, uh, um, how do you feel about all the people who risked their lives so that you could be saved? Because a lot of people had previously died trying to trying to get him out. And he sort of like, he sort of gives like a canned answer, sort of brushes them off because he has to give this big like speech at a summit. Um, and there's actually this really cool moment, spoilers, whatever, uh, uh, this catharsis moment where um, they... Uh, the president had this like cassette tape with like a really important speech on it that he was going to play. Uh, Snake actually switches that out with uh, one of the cabbies uh, cassette tapes from his cab plays this really crazy song and Snake is shown ripping out up the cassette cassette tape, etc. So kind of a cool cathartic moment and sort of a, a F you to the establishment to the president, etc, mm-hmm. etc. Et so I thought that was cool. Anyways, remember how I mentioned no one wanted to make this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Carpenter had obviously directed films before, um, and he had just directed the movie Dark Star before he started writing the script. But you know, no one wanted to hire him as a director, and you know, they didn't think the script would would play to audiences. However, after the success of Halloween, a dark and violent movie, people were like, "Okay, John, you you had that script that that one time." <laughs> so, anyways, he was signed to a two-picture deal to Avco Embassy. Uh, the first film he made was The Fog, and the second film he made was this film. Boom. So he ended up being able to get it made. Uh, actually, one fun fact about the casting of this movie, Kurt Russell was not the initial choice. Uh, he had actually started some Disney movies before this, including The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. <laughs> what? And he had sort of this persona as like this like Disney star of the time. If I've you never even heard of that movie. Me neither. I think we need to watch it though. Yeah. 
Um, the studio wanted Tommy Lee Jones, Chuck Norris for the part. Uh, John Carpenter thought Chuck Norris was too old, and he preferred Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell really had to, like, pitch himself for this. He really had to push for it. Eventually, he was cast, and the rest is history. Boom. Uh, some other cool fun facts. Uh, this film was actually shot in Missouri. Uh, and was actually uh, shot almost entirely at nighttime, and they had to convince the city to shut off uh, electricity to 10 blocks at a time at night. And John Carpenter was talking about his schedule, how he would essentially shoot until, like, you know, 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning, the sun would be coming up, he would go to sleep, wake up at about 5 p.m., you know, work on some some pre-production stuff, and then just go into shooting. So he basically didn't see the sun for, like, two months or however long it took to film those scenes. Yeah. Uh, this film had a budget of only $6 million, uh, which for a movie which is set in the future with supposedly some high-tech stuff, uh, wasn't necessarily easy to do. And for a movie that had to convince the city to shut off 10 blocks of electricity. Correct. You'd think you'd have to pay him a lot. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this was actually the highest budget John Carpenter had ever had for a film up to this point. Halloween wow. is actually very famously a very low-budget movie. Um, and yeah, so this was his I mean, I guess I can see that, budget. you know. Yeah. A lot of it's like shot in a house and Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so just a few other general notes I want to talk about before we get into my thoughts and and two truths and a lie. Um so obviously when we talk about the 80s, um slasher films is a big thing which obviously John Carpenter is known for. Um you have other slasher films at the time, uh Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, etc., etc., sort of defining the genre. But another big thing in the 80s obviously is these these big profile action movies. These big shoot 'em ups, etc., etc. Um so, you know, during the 80s you have a bunch of classic action movies. I'm just going to name some. Aliens, Mad Max Road Warrior, Lethal Weapon, RoboCop, Commando, The Terminator, Rambo Robocop. First Blood, Die Hard, Predator. However, notably, the only one that takes place either before or at the same time as this movie is Mad Max Road Warrior. Hmm. So th- this movie, I think, sort of uh, is often not necessarily mentioned in the same conversation as those uh, because I think now it sort of has a little bit more of a cult following. But I think it's just interesting how, uh, you know, this movie uh, was sort of in that same genre um and sort of maybe helped push audiences to two more of those movies that's yeah. just a conjecture of me i don't know if that's true but i think it's interesting how it, it either ride the wave rode the wave at the time or helped sort of start that wave of yeah. all these uh famous action movies um one thing that i think is is cool too is this this also has a bit of sci-fi effect obviously um and it did have influence on other media one of which i'm going to talk about in my two truths and a lie but another uh jj abrams the producer of the movie cloverfield and obviously yeah, yeah, big yeah. writer director i know jj abrams star yeah. wars <laughs> exactly uh he mentioned that a scene from cloverfield uh where the statue of liberty collapses is actually uh, heavily inspired by the poster of escape from new york huh which is fun yeah so Let's just talk about my thoughts, shall we? Thoughts. This movie kicks ass. I think it's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it very much is like of that era. It's just it's just a really fun movie, but also I think you can just tell that John Carpenter is such a good writer director just by watching this movie. I think it's just I think it's a really fun concept. Like the plot and the story are really inventive, and also I think I have even more of an appreciation for it now, knowing where it originated from. Yeah. The Watergate scandal, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's really cool to look back on that and 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 see how that influenced the movie. 
Um, it's also just like this movie has such a specific like feel to it. Like yeah. this this specific New York is like it's so distinct, it's so gritty, it's so dirty, it's disgusting. It's Missouri. It's Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it really is like, you know, it, it it's very specific and very evocative and I just I I really like the feeling that this movie gives off, obviously from a distance. I don't know if I'd actually want to go to this New York from Escape from New York. Yeah. Uh but it really does personify the the 80s action movie. Um, and also, like, the acting is really great, too. Kurt Russell kills it. Um, obviously, a departure from what he was before. Yeah. Um, uh, he said, actually, his uh, performance uh, was based on Clint Eastwood, which I think you can uh, kind of see a lot of Clint Eastwood characters similar. Uh, but I think uh, Snake Plissken is one of those characters who is definitely going to live on. Even just the name. Pretty sweet. Snake Plissken. Yeah. Um. And then uh, also a, a performance that was, um, you know, a supporting performance, but one that I really enjoyed was uh, Ernest Borgnine as Cabby. Uh, he was hilarious. Um, his character was actually added by Nick Castle, the co-writer. Um, and I think it worked really well for the movie uh, because I, I don't think it was just comic relief for the sake of comic relief. I think he actually was a character that I could see being a part of that world. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool how they introduced him and how they uh, used him throughout the movie. I just really great character, really great performance. Loved it. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that I would green light this one. Oh, yeah. Um, once again, a classic movie. You have a, a director coming off one of the biggest successes at the time, one of the biggest movies at the time in Halloween. Um, and, you know, you have a star who is known. Not known for this, but you know, potential at a at a chance to <coughs> um, change his name. Still a young star at the time, so yeah, I think um, I think I'd greenlight this movie from my enjoyment and from a studio perspective. Boom! All right, lie Let's to do me, two Jackson. And a lie. I'm I'm on a run. I'm a little scared. So you have an advantage because I haven't seen this movie. That's true. That's true. Uh, so we've talked about uh, people who've worked with John Carpenter in the past, and now we're going to talk about another one. Uh, after working with John Carpenter on Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis reunited with him for this movie, uh, however in an uncredited role. She provides the voice for the narration and the computer's voice in the first prison scene at the beginning of the movie. See, this is also an advantage, because I feel like you maybe I would have had a chance to recognize her voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. You'll just have to guess. Uh, number two. This is going back to things that were influenced by um, this movie. Okay. Popular video game director Hideo Kojima has referred to the movie frequently as an influence on his work. In particular, the Metal Gear series. Uh, Solid Snake, who is a character in that series, is partially uh, influenced by Snake Plissken. And in Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, Snake actually uses the alias Plissken to hide his real identity during most of the game. Hmm. You might not be familiar with those games, but the yeah, Snake is again, also... Yeah, again, I feel like you're you're doing me a little dirty here. Well, Snake is also a character in Smash Bros. The yeah. one that Nick plays a lot. Well, yeah, I, I know Snake okay. from Smash. Cool. So is that the same Snake? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the same Snake that that's, I'm referring to in this. Okay. Yeah. Number three. Kurt Russell cites this as one of his least favorite roles, not because he didn't have a good time working on it, but because fans of the movie still approach him to this day calling him Snake. I believe that one. <laughs> um, I feel like you made up the video game thing. I don't think that's real. Okay, is that your final answer? Yes. 
That is true. The third one what? is the real or is the fake one. Kurt Russell actually cites this as one of his favorite roles that he's ever played. <laughs> Got her! I'm on a roll! I can't be stopped! I can't be stopped! The snake actually the snake Lauren's walking away. I'm gonna keep talking. The snake fact I think is interesting about how um he's named after the character in the series. Cause I was you know, I had played Super Smash Bros. and seen the character Snake in that before I watched this movie. And so I was looking, I was like, Snake from that, like, there's no way two characters are just named Snake, right? And they're not, because it was partially inspired by this. Lauren's looking at me with great disgust, but I am looking at her with victory in my eyes. <laughs> Anyways, that's all we have. Uh, two very different movies for you. Yeah. I think no matter what you like in a movie, you'd find it in one of these. It's, they got a lot to offer. That's true. I'd say. Uh, so thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us this long. Uh, subscribe to our Patreon. Follow us on social media. Leave us a rating and review. Do what all else? that stuff. What else you got, Lauren? Anything else before we let the people go? Um, Let my people go. That's all I got. Lauren says let my people go. We'll let you go. Have a good night, morning, afternoon, whatever, everyone. We love you guys. Love you.